if you wouldn't mind grabbing a Bible there in front of you and turning to the book of 1 John. And we're continuing our series in 1 John, living in the light. And uh, we're thinking and uh, reflecting on what it means to live in the light, both of, remember, of understanding of theology. I know that's a big word, but our understanding, our thoughts about God, our understanding of who God is. We want to live in the light when it comes to theology. We don't want to have bad theology. Everyone who thinks about God, believe it or not, is a theologian. And so that means you. You're here. I hope you're thinking about God a little bit. And we'd, we'd prefer to be good theologians instead of bad ones. And 1 John helps us with a lot of great theology. So we want to live in the light of our understanding. But we also want to live in the light of holiness. We want to live in the light of, of ethical living. And, and we believe that theology relates to ethics. And, and what we believe really does relate to how we live. And so we want to live in the light of purity. We want to live in the light of Christ-likeness that, uh, that John mentions over and over and over. And we'll do so again in the passage that we'll read today. We want to live in the light of becoming more like Jesus. And so that's our quest. I hope we're taking a few steps in that direction as we study this book this fall. Uh, if we're just kind of treading water or two steps forward, three steps back or whatever that is, uh, then, then maybe we're missing it. Let's, let's dial in and, and I want to do the same. And let's just trust God to speak to us through his word again here this morning. So if you're there, 1 John, we're in chapter 4. And uh, I want to read verses 7 to 21. Can we stand together? This week you'll actually be studying verses 1 to 21, the whole chapter 4. But uh, I wanted to pick up in, chap in verse 7. Uh, I'll refer back a little bit to those first six verses. But I uh, want to pick up on the theme that comes through most clearly in this chapter here in verse 7. Let me read it for us. And at the end I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And you can say thanks be to God. Dear friends... Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. And furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. 
Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For we don't love people, for if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, great news uh, this week. The drought is finally and officially over. That's right. That's right. Believe it. The Chicago Cubs came back, trailing three games to one in the best of seven World Series battle, and after a 108-year drought of winning a World Series, brought it home. They were able to get the victory this week. The, the, I, it kind of breaks my heart, actually, a little bit, because I just love the lovable losers. I mean, that's what they were known, the Chicago Cubs and their Chicago Cub fans, the lovable losers. And no more. Now, if you're a Chicago Cub fan, you will become an arrogant winner. That's what happens. You are no longer a lovable loser. And, and one of the greatest sports stories in all history is no more. But congratulations. The drought is over. Some of you maybe were thinking I was talking about another drought. Sorry to disappoint you. Fortunately, there is other great news from 1 John this week as well. John wants us to know while we might not have a lot of water, there is no shortage when it comes to the love of God. Were you picking up on that at all as I read the passage? I mean, it's a little bit of a tongue twister, a little bit confusing, a little bit round and about, but everywhere you look, love turns up. God's love, he tells us in so many ways, is available and it's abundant. It is ready to change lives. It's ready if we'll let it and if we'll allow it to have full expression in us, it's ready to change the world. Statistics never tell the story. I mean, that's, that's the reality. But uh, sometimes they do help give us some extra insight. And the stack keepers tell us that the word love or some form of it occurs no fewer than 27 times in these 15 verses that I read. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, it seems as if we have come to what is John's main focus. And he's sort of been beating around the bush at this love for one another throughout the first few chapters of this book. But now in chapter 4, it takes center stage. It's the core of his letter, the core of his message. Everything that he has said to this point has, in a sense, been leading up to this beautiful explosion about the love of God. And everything that will follow now in the next few weeks as we look at it will, will sort of be that which clarifies and confirms what John has written here, what he said here about, about love. We, we, really, we really don't need to ask then what the main subject of this section is. And if last week's sermon had 10 points, and if you weren't here, believe it, it did, right? Who, who was here and sat through a 10-point sermon? Yes, I mean, if, if last week's sermon had 10 points, then this week should have how many? One. Come on, people. It should have one. It's, or maybe 27, but I think one. But of course I'm a preacher, so I'm going to get three out of the one. Because there's three in one. It's a wonderful biblical uh, idea. The reality is when we talk about the love of God, this main point of this passage, this central theme of this 
of this chapter, we, we realize that we have arrived actually not only at the core of John's message, but we've arrived at the core of the Christian faith. I mean, when we, when we think about the initiative of God and his love expressed to humanity, this is what it's all about. This is what our faith, this is what the Christian tradition that, that Aaron was talking about, those who have gone before us, those who have passed on to us, this is the message that they've talked about. This is the tradition that has been passed on to us. We also know that when we talk about the love of God nowadays, we speak of something that is largely foreign and, and incompatible with modern expectations. And so even if you've been around the church for a little while or, if, or a long time even, or, or maybe you're just sort of new to this, it's important for us to never stop talking about the love of God. And it may seem sort of ethereal and kind of out there and maybe hard to connect. We're going to do our best to do some of that connecting with where we live. But it's such an important concept that we just sort of live in this reality of God's love for us. So for these reasons, we're going to spend some time listening carefully and this week in our growth groups as well. And I, I hope that we not only learn about God's love, though, but that we actually experience it to some extent. So right from the beginning of the passage, you can keep your Bible open. I encourage you to do so. We're going to look at a bunch of verses this morning. I think I got most of them up on the up on the screen for us. But right from the start of the passage, John wants his readers to remember that, that, that God's love is a love that seeks after people. God's love, this love that we're talking about is one that is seeking, that is searching, that is extending, that is reaching, that is chasing. We, we've been singing that song here in church, and we've been singing it a lot at my house, even in the van on the Way to church this morning, the lyrics ringing out, not from the CD player, but from my kids and my wife and myself. No mountain higher, no river wider. My heart may wander. Your love will never stop chasing after me. We're going to sing it again, I don't think today, but in, in weeks to come. And I hope that when we sing it the next time, You'll sing it with even added gusto because you'll be, you'll be singing what you know to be true. That the love of God, no matter who we are or where we've been or what we've done or what we've been, never stops chasing after us. Never stops seeking after us. Verse 7 tells us that love comes from God. Verse 8 reminds us that, in fact, God is love. This is his essence. This is who he is. And so as he gives off of himself, he gives love. He seeks others with his love. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together. Aren't you glad? He, he doesn't wait for us to get everything kind of cleaned up. He, he doesn't wait for us to sweep around in our life, get everything tidied up, everything tucked away into the, the hiding places and, and look presentable. He, he doesn't wait for us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps God comes right to where we are with his love. This is the gospel message. This is the beautiful truth. And if you're someone today who, who, who doesn't feel like you're deserving of God's love, guess what? You're right. We're not. None of us are. And yet God extends himself to us, reaches to us, takes the initiative, and moves toward us in love right where we are. Of course, the greatest and most breathtaking example of God seeking love is the sending of his own son, Jesus Christ. We call it the incarnation, the enfleshment, the, 
the God made flesh, the, the coming of God as a man, the incarnation, the giving of and sending of his son Jesus to live and to die and to be raised again. And as I mentioned, if you look back in those first six verses of First John, uh, John chapter 4, you, you can see that, that, uh, that John is urging his readers to not be confused by false teachers, to, to test the spirits and to, and to make sure they're hearing the truth by these false prophets and, and discerning what is true and what isn't true. And, and he gives one criteria, actually, for how to know, in this section at least, for how to know if someone is a true teacher or a false prophet. And that is, did, do they teach that Jesus came in bodily form? Did he come not only as divinity, did he not come not only as spirit, but did he come as a man? Did he come fully as a man? This is what John wants them to make sure and hold on to because this is what he had experienced. This is what he knew to be true, and he wanted them to be able to hold on to that as well. He wanted them to, to, to know that Jesus, as these false teachers had claimed, was not merely spirit. He, he didn't just seem to die. He didn't just appear to have a body, but Jesus came fully in the flesh, fully God, fully man, a, a theology that was worked out by the councils in 325 and 451, this fully God, fully man uh, thinking, but was so clearly presented even here in, in John's teaching. He, John wants us to know and wanted his readers to know that Jesus came to be fully human, fully divine, God in the flesh, able to fully identify with humanity, able to fully become a sacrifice for our sin, able to fully reveal the depth of God's love for us. Look at verses 9 and 10. I think I have that on the screen here. Read it with me, would you? God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There's so much good stuff there. But this, this teaching, this reminder of the initiative of God, seeking after us, making the move towards us, always extending, despite our shortcomings, despite our failures, despite our sin. In fact, because of those very things, this is why God reaches to us with his love. This is why he seeks after us. There's, there's something special about being sought after, isn't there? It, isn't there something that just kind of turns in your heart, that, that just sort of that, that makes, you, makes you stand a little taller to know that, there is, that there's one who is seeking after you with his love? I remember when I was seeking after Kyla with my love, I, I kind of freaked her out, actually. I, I, I call it seeking. She called it stalking. I'm not sure what the issue was, but uh, we, we worked it out. Um, but but over, over time, hopefully, she began to, to have this sense that I, I, I didn't want to just scare her. I wanted to actually be with her. And, and this is that beautiful feeling that we can each have, again, no matter where we are and who we are, what we've done, where we've been, that God is seeking after us, that we are, we are, we are sought after. When God thinks of you, he thinks, I, I love that person. I love him. I love her, and I want to seek after her. I want to seek after him with all that I am, with all that I have, God said. In fact, 
I, I've already done that. I've given my son Jesus. I'm continuing to give my Holy Spirit. I'm continuing to give of myself. The incarnation, the very giving of Jesus, reveals something not only about Jesus, but it reveals something about the Father, that this is the kind of God he is. He did it in Jesus. He does it in his spirit. He's done it in his word and in the church and all the saints that have come before us, and he continues to do it. He continues to seek after us. He will never stop. He won't stop chasing after us. John goes on to show not only that God's love seeks after us, but it's his love that makes possible our salvation. Love this idea. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. It's sprinkled throughout this passage, but here again in in 14 and 15. Let's read it together, can we? Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Hold on to that, would you? God is living in them, and they live in God. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. God didn't just send his Son to be a good teacher. He didn't just send Jesus to be a good example, although he was both of those things. He didn't send him just to be a, a helpful encourager or a, a solid leader. John tells us that God has sent his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. Could he be any clearer? I love it when the Bible doesn't beat around the bush, when it's very clear and it says exactly what, what, what it needs to say. God sent his son Jesus to be the savior of the world. It reminded me of the angel when he spoke to Joseph and he said, yeah, Mary's going to have a son and you need to name him Jesus. Why? Because that name means he will save his people from their sins. This wasn't like, a, you know, like a, a secondary idea. This wasn't like another purpose that God had for his son. He wasn't like, yeah, I'll send him to be a great teacher, and then maybe he'll be a savior of the world. No, it was like, this is why he came, to forgive his people of their sins, to allow them to find new life of forgiveness in, in the Father, to, to, to have God take up residence in our lives and for us to take up residence in, in his. I love this image of making our home in God, that, 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 that his love has made possible. I, I don't know about you, but when you come home from, from being away maybe from your home and, and you get back, I just love coming home to my home. And it's my own bed, it's my own shower, it's my own couch, it's my own remote control. Can I get an amen? Okay, well, maybe not. That's all right. Um, it's just your own stuff, and you're more, it's your own kitchen, your own refrigerator. You know where stuff is. It's just, it's just, it's just home. I, and how good it is to, to come home. And, and even as I was thinking about that, though, I thought about what a blessing it is to, to have a home. I thought about some of our friends who live in the streets and don't have homes and, and, and how good it is that many of them are coming back to find homes and are being placed in homes. And, and what a great thing it must be for those who have been homeless to come into their own home. And some of you perhaps have even been in that situation in your own life. What, a, what an amazing thing to, to have had no home and then to have a home. And this is what the love of God makes possible for us in a spiritual sense. 
that for those of us who were wanderers, those of us who were far away, have come back because of his love that allows us to find salvation and have found a home in God. We can take up residence, that we can remain in him, and he remains in us. This is what the love of God makes possible, that we don't have to be separate, we don't have to be wandering, we don't, we don't have to be homeless, but we can find a home in God. We can find a life in God, John refers to it as eternal life, but it's more than just eternal in terms of quantity. We love that, right? Like forever, eternal. But, but this word that he used to describe that is actually also speaks not only of quantity, but also of quality. This, this, this life that we have in this home with God is, is one that's filled with peace and, and joy and significance and meaning. And this is what the love of God makes possible because he sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. And I say thanks be to God for his love that makes our salvation possible. John goes on in the passage. He talks about how God's love sends out those who have received it. Not only does it, does it, uh, does it seek us and save us, but it, it, it sends us. And, and perhaps this is where John adds a new element in this book that we haven't quite picked up on to this point. So far, he's been talking a lot about loving others, and the significance of that is, is clear, in, especially in the life of the church. We can, we can build each other up. We can edify one another. The church can be more effective and efficient in its ministry as we are loving one another. We can all just sort of get along. That's always a good thing. And John was urgently and passionately telling them to, to, to love one another. But now he, he adds another element to it as he speaks of this love of God that sends out those who have received it. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. And let's read this too out loud. I like hearing you read. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. God shows his love for us. Did you catch that? God shows his love for us, not just so that we can feel loved, sought after, even saved. That's awesome. But it's not just for that purpose. He shows his love for us, not just so that we can feel good. He shows his love for us, not just so that we can be in healthy relationships with the people around us. He, he, he shows his love for us, not just so that we can love one another and get along and be effective and efficient and kind and, 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 and not be uh, just a mess, um, that we can, we can really, it, not, not just that. John says here that, that God showed his love for us because though no one has ever seen God, did you hear this? That when we love one another, God's love finds its full expression in us. And others then at that point can see God. No one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, they can see a glimpse of God. Our love for one another is that which can give a glimpse of God 
to the world around us. This is a radical idea. I mean, I, I, it just blows me away. I don't know how it affects you, but I'm like, I'm thankful for God's love, and I want to love you, and I want you to love me, and that sounds pretty good. But to realize that our love for one another might be the way, the way in which people in our world get a glimpse of who God is. Just as God sent his love to the earth in Jesus, so now he sends us and our love for one another to the earth to show that love. Just as people saw Jesus to see a glimpse of God, now people see our love for one another to get a glimpse of God. I don't know, again, about you, but I, I just feel like that raises the bar <laughs> even more so. Is now it's not just about me. Now it's not just about you. Now it's not just about you and me. Now it's not even just about you and me and God. It's about you and me and God and the world around us who is desperately needing to see a glimpse of God. How are they going to see it? How are they going to see it? John says they're going to see it when God's love finds full expression as we love one another. Can you feel the bar rising, raising, being raised just a little bit? And God's spirit being poured into us in a new and a fresh way so that we might love in this way, that we might have the ability to love in this way, like this. Just as God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus, now he wants to demonstrate his love through us. Kristen referred to it a little bit. We're, we're going to have that opportunity this, this coming week in, in, in this election season. Let's just call it that, the election season. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, we talked about the Cubs from last week, so we got to talk about the election for next week. I mean, this is the world in which we live. And to, to this point, I, I don't know how we've done necessarily as the church. Uh, I'd kind of have to give us maybe like a C in terms of how we've done at demonstrating the love of God in the world, in terms of uh, just our, our, our whole approach. Not, not our local church necessarily, but just the, the church, the the whatever you want to call us, the evangelical movement, which, you know, whether or not we want to claim belonging to that or not, but uh, um, just, you know, not, not so good. Our, our, our love for one another has kind of been all over the map, and it seems like our, our, our love for our, our party or our affiliation has almost been more significant to, to, to some, even in the church, in, in this season. And as we enter into it this week, we have... We have a wonderful opportunity, once again, to, to vote. Absolutely, go for it. And, and vote as God would lead you. Vote as, as you would sense the Lord's lead, not only for president, but for all the other issues and people that are on that ballot. Go, go for it. Do it. But let's remember that, that our first allegiance, our first love, is not to our party affiliation or to a certain candidate, but it's to one another. It's to God and it's to his church. And, and what an opportunity we have in these volatile times, whether it be regarding the elections or whether it be regarding just other issues that are going on in the world. What an opportunity we have in these volatile times to, to, to not kind of tune all those things out, but with them in full view, love one another, lean towards the middle of one another in such a new and a fresh way that people would look at us and think, What's going on with them? They're supposed to be freaking out, and instead they're just loving each other. Maybe God's a part of that. And maybe they would see 
a glimpse of God. We're sent to be his love in the world. God's love sends his people to be his love in the world. We are the flesh and bones of God's love. We are the incarnated presence of God in the world. We are those who get to show his love. Well, here's the the last one. Um, John says God's love makes us confident. This one doesn't start with an S, but God's love makes us confident to stand before him. I was uh, driving out to pick up, ironically, I was driving out to pick up my son from growth group uh, at the Calusas on Tuesday night and felt myself, I wasn't really paying attention, felt myself going just a little bit fast, especially as I passed the CHP officer uh, right off the highway there at Fairview. You know the place where I'm talking about. They like to hang out right there. Those of you especially who live out in that uh, part of the world. And I really didn't know how fast I was going, so I quickly looked down. It was a little bit more, not too bad, but I just let off the gas, and then I kept driving. And you know what I did, right? That's my rear view mirror right there. Have you ever done that? Anybody? Nobody's ever done that, right? Okay. Some, maybe. All right, maybe. You, 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 do, it, it, it's, you go by them, and you're like, even if you're going 10 miles under the speed limit, like, oh, man. Oh, man. What are they going to get me? I got something wrong. They're going to get me. And there's this sense in which, in which whenever we, <laughs> you know, the, the police are here to serve and protect people. They're not here to get us. But if we do something wrong, they're here to get us. And so we have this sense that they're here to get us because we are doing wrong more often than we should be, perhaps. And we live with this sense whenever we walk, even when we walk by a police officer or a CHP or a sheriff, and it's like, hey, okay, I think I'm all right. I'm going to keep walking now. And we got to check ourselves. We sort of live with this, this anticipation, this, this fear. This, if you really want to call it what it is, it's, it's fear. And, and this is what um, John wants to say, that, that when we are experiencing the love of God in its fullness, that love that is being made complete in us, that, that is growing in us, John says, that is, that is finding its full expression in us as we love one another, that is finding its full expression in us as we, as we begin to live like Jesus, John says, then this love that is growing, guess what it does? It, it expels. I love that image. It expels. It pushes it out. It, it, there, there's no room. There's, there's so much of God's love that is growing in us that it moves out whatever fear there was. A fear of God, a fear of his judgment, a fear of punishment, a fear of standing before him on the judgment day and having the hammer come down. Instead, John says, as we live in love, we live with confidence. I think I have one more passage. Verses 17 and 18, is that there? Let's read it together, can we? And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. 
And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. How, how does his love grow in us? Well, we spend time at home, in his home. We allow him to spend time in us. It's like, you know, mi casa es su casa. God says, you know, mi vida es su casa. God says, my life is your home. Get in here and grow in me. Live in me. As you grow, you'll begin to live more like Jesus. Can you believe it? Can you even imagine it? As the Holy Spirit is poured out, where John talks about that in this passage too, he, he, he confirms the presence of Jesus in us. It's growing in us. It's expelling fear. We're living with this sense of confidence. We're not l living each day looking over our shoulder or staring into our rearview mirror. What a, what, a, what a sad existence. Especially if you're a, one who, who, who calls on the name of Jesus, one who claims to be a follower of Jesus. What a sad existence existence to live with our eyes in our rearview mirror, wondering if he's going to get us. Instead of looking out through the windshield, anticipating what God has for us, trusting in his grace, believing in his love, holding on to his hand of love. No fear. It's been expelled by love. The love of God. Well, the love of God is no more powerfully, perhaps, portrayed and vividly demonstrated than at the cross, not only in the life and the incarnation of Jesus, but in his death, in his suffering, and in his sacrifice. And it's this death that, that brings life. It's this death that opens the doors for life, both eternal and, and full it's this death of Jesus that demonstrates again that it wasn't us who acted. It was God who acted first. And it's in the table of the Lord's Supper that we get to come and receive the, the bread and the cup and be not only reminded, not only to, to remember what it is that God did for us in Jesus, but to actually allow that to, to happen freshly in our lives as we eat of the bread and as we eat of the juice our drink of the juice. So as we take communion today, I would invite you not only to let this be a memorial. I mean, that's important. The Bible speaks about the importance of a memorial, remembering what it is that God has done for us in Jesus. But I would invite you to allow this to be a moment of reception, of receiving the very love and grace of God. That as you, as you eat the bread and as you drink or dip in the cup, that that would be a moment where the love and grace of God flow beautifully and powerfully into our lives. Let's pray together, can we? Thanks, Lord, so much for uh, all that you have done, the, the ways that you've shown yourself to us. Th thank you, God, for this passage of Scripture that maybe upon first reading is just sort of confusing and seems redundant and repetitive, and, and kind of overwhelming. And, and yet, thank you, God, that it is just exactly how it is. Thank you that John wrote it like this. So we would be forced to come face to face with this incredible reality. That this love of God that, that, that seeks after us. That, 
makes a way for us to be saved, that sends us out into the world to reveal your love to the world, that, that makes it so that we might live without fear, but with a sense of confidence. And so we celebrate this love today, oh God. May we not only learn about it, but may we experience it. May we, may we, may we allow our hearts and our lives to be open like sponges that would just receive of the love and grace of God so that we might then be squeezed out, poured out into the, the world. I pray that you would help us to love one another, God. I pray that you would help us to, 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 not, to be a church that is not satisfied with just getting along. I pray, God, that you would help us to be a church that is not satisfied with, with just sort of keeping the peace or just keeping our distance from those that we don't get along with. I, I pray that you would make us a, a church filled with people who are so filled with the love of God that it's not our love that is flowing out from us, but it's yours. And so we can trust in your love. We can trust in that, uh, that calling, that, that, that need for us to lean into your love and to, to enter into relationships with those around us that would reflect that love. And it's not only for us and for the effectiveness of our church, but for a testimony to your presence and to your life, to who you are, God. I pray that somehow the world around us might get a glimpse of you, God, by the way we love one another. And I pray even now, Lord, that as we come to the table and as we receive of these elements, that, that we would remember that it was on that night when you were betrayed that you took the bread and you, you broke it and you passed it to your disciples and you said, this is my body broken for you and take and, and eat of it. And the same way you took the cup and passed it and said, this is the symbol of my blood shed for you, the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And we remember that, that supper and we remember that cross as we receive this meal. But we also remember and we celebrate that that, that, that love is, is being made new even now. And that as we eat and as we drink, that love is being poured into us that we might pour it out, be broken and poured out to the world. May we, may we be at home in your love. Even now, oh God, have your home in us. We love you. We praise you. We give you these moments now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have Michelle, Kyla, if you'll come, and Aaron. We're going to serve you right here from the front. We'll have a tray of bread and a, and a cup, and you can take a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup and eat and drink. You can form a couple lines right here and just go uh, process right through this way. Um, Max is going to sing for us, and, and as he sings, I invite you just to worship the Lord and come and receive these elements this morning. God bless you.